You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, Life Church Livonia! It's Easter! Welcome! My name is Alex and I am the lead pastor here at Life Church Livonia. And I'm so happy to be celebrating my first Easter as lead pastor with you. Today is the day that we celebrate Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. The day that he conquered death. The day that he freed the world from sin. The Bible teaches us that when sin entered the world, death was introduced into the human experience. And that that sin and death have deteriorated our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our very spirits, and our world. Every malady and brokenness that we see in the world is a result of this sin. Our political division and hatred is a result of this sin. The greed and power and need for control that leads to conflicts and wars like the one in the Ukraine. This is a result of sin. Our dehumanizing of our fellow human beings that is so normalized on social media. This is a result of this sin. They're all fruits of this. But that sin isn't just something that's out there that other people have that's a them problem. The Bible tells us that all of us have this sin in our very nature. And that every person has the capacity and impulse for evil. Scripture also tells us that we're naturally slaves to this impulse. But when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, he showed the power of God over sin and death and proved irrevocably, unequivocally, once and for all, that he really does have all power and all authority over all things. And he vindicated all of his teachings, showing us that the things he said were true, that he said he would rise from the dead, and he did. And not even death could hold him down. When Jesus died on the cross, he accepted the punishment for all of our sins, for all time, and offers a way for us to enter into a new kind of life that was God's original design for every person, a life free from slavery to sin. And as we say yes to following Jesus as Lord, his new life is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, and he promises that we too will rise from the dead. Death moves from being a period at the end of life to a comma into the next one. So on Easter Sunday, Christians all over the world are saying, He is risen, and the church shouts back, He is risen indeed. And so I would like to do that here digitally. Comment in the comment section as we say this together. But He is risen, and I want you to shout back, He is risen indeed. Amen, amen. When I was in college, I was in this class called Survey of Worldviews. And it was a mix of famous and infamous on campus. When it was being offered, you'd see these really stressed out kids walking around, you know, like Kramer from Seinfeld, like walking into Jerry's apartment, just like, and they'd be whispering things like, who am I? And who are you? And what is life? And is this life? Am I alive? What is it, you? You know, and just like having this existential meltdown. <laughs> I'd look at them and I'd go to my friends like, hey man, is that guy Okay. And again, he's just in Brewer's survey of worldview class. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. And I was like, okay, he does not look fine to me. So when it came time for me to take that class, I was understandably a little concerned. 
You know, I didn't want to be like Kramer having this existential crisis, just walking around campus all jerky and stuff, you know. <laughs> but as I got into the class, uh, it became quickly one of my favorite classes on campus. See, the, the class was certainly challenging, and it was certainly thought-provoking. But um, what it forced students to do was it forced us to examine the deeper questions of life and, it, and examine how not just our parents or our culture have answered those questions, but how all cultures and religions across human history have answered those questions. Questions like, who am I? Do I matter? Does life matter? What's the value of life? What's ultimately real and true about the human experience? What's ultimately important in the world? How does my life fit into what's important? And, and then how do I live it? And, and we looked at how these different worldviews across all human history answered these questions. And, and our teacher would push on our default answers to those questions. One of the things I learned in this class was that in order to be classified as a religion, a belief system had to answer two questions. It has to answer the question, how do, we, how do we get the problem of evil and what do we do about it? And then it also had to answer the question, what's ultimately real and true about the world? Is it that after we die, there's nothing? Is it that there's a heaven and a hell? Is it that we come back reincarnated? What's ultimately true about reality? Is it just an illusion? Is it some kind of simulation? And we debated and talked about the whys and the philosophies behind these different answers. I spent a semester wrestling with and reevaluating my own answers to those questions. And the good news is, I didn't turn into Kramer. Not yet, anyway. I still got time, I guess. And I got me in the class, so I call that a double win. But as all of us begin looking into these deeper questions in life, we often realize that we've never really critically thought about them. We just kind of lived, hoping that the answers would present themselves to us in this neat package. But we know that's not the case, right? These questions about life and these longings for this world that's pure and right and good, this world we've never seen but somehow know is supposed to be there, right? These things inevitably lead us to the person of Jesus. They lead us to church. They lead us to streams like this one. They lead us to Google searches and YouTube holes. They lead us to books and late-night conversations with friends. They lead us to debates at family gatherings that often turn sour. All these different sources claim to have a take on who Jesus is. And so with so many voices claiming to speak for Jesus, the question we want to ask in this series, Jesus Is, is, who does Jesus say he is? What does Jesus have to say for himself? And so in this series, we're taking a look at seven of what they're called the I Am statements in the book of John. They're statements where Jesus self-discloses who he is, his identity to us, to the church. And they're not just self-proclaimed anecdotes. These I am statements are answers. They are answers to the questions. What do we need? And what does the world need? So today we're going to be opening this series looking at Jesus' I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? You know, he doesn't say, I have resurrection and life or I give resurrection in life, or I facilitate resurrection in life, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, but we have to understand that the resurrection wasn't just a true event that happened. It was an expression of Jesus' identity coming to fruition on Easter morning. This statement, uh, I'm the resurrection and the life, comes from John chapter 11. 
And so we're going to begin by taking a look at John chapter 11. And our roadmap for the day is going to be pretty simple. We're going to begin looking at John chapter 11, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how that combines with the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And then we're going to look at ourselves and go, you know, what does God have for us here? Because the big question today is, if Jesus is telling us, I'm the resurrection and the life, it's what does he want us to know about that? And what does he want us to do about that? So let's begin in John chapter 11. A little bit of background on this. So Jesus is close with this particular family that lives in the town of Bethany. The family is made up of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Jesus is shown at their house in different parts of his ministry, and it becomes very clear that he really loves this family, and they really love him. They go out of their way to assist him and serve him in his ministry and to love him. But John 11 opens with some troubling news. In verse 1, we learn that Lazarus is really sick, and uh, things aren't looking good for him. The sisters believe that Jesus can do something about this. So they send word to Jesus, telling him that his beloved friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus makes it really clear that this sickness will not end in death, and they have nothing to fear. And I can just picture their relief. You know, just imagine this with me for a second. Your sibling who you dearly love is sick, and, and you think they're going to die. And you reach out to Jesus, hoping that he can somehow make it better. And then you get news back from him, hey, don't worry about it, I got this taken care of. He's not going to die. Can you just like, oh, feel that relief, like the tears welling in their eyes going, oh, Jesus, thank you. I knew we were right to turn to you. I knew that you could do it. I knew Mary said that you would, and I, I, did, I knew you could do something. Thank you. Thank you, God. Can you just feel that relief? But as the sisters await Jesus' arrival to heal their brother, they wait a day and Jesus doesn't come. They wait a second day, and Jesus doesn't come. Then Lazarus dies. And they wait a third day, and Jesus doesn't come. Can you imagine the confusion, the grief, the anger that would arise in that? I wonder if they felt betrayed by Jesus. I wonder if they secretly cursed him under their breath. The Bible doesn't say but it does say that Jesus waited specifically until Lazarus had died before heading to Bethany. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 20 of chapter 11 and look at what happens next as Jesus arrives on the scene. It says this, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now... God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes in me will live even though they die. An amazing passage. we got to pause it and just intake this for a second, though. Jesus shows up late, uh, seemingly breaking his word. Martha is crushed and confronts Jesus about this. Jesus still having some hope. She, or she still has some hope and faith in Jesus that he can do something. 
Mary doesn't want to come, though. Mary, Mary doesn't want to see Jesus right now. Understandably so, she's hurt. Jesus tells Martha, hey, everything's still going to be okay. And Martha goes, Lord, I know, one day things will be okay. One day in this mysterious future, I've heard about this resurrection. I know God will make everything right. One day there will be redemption. One day there will be resurrection. One day everything will be good again. One day my grief will resolve. One day, and I can just almost imagine Jesus interrupting her and going, Martha, it's not one day. You're not waiting for one day, Martha. You're waiting for me. I am what you've been waiting for. I am the resurrection you have placed your hopes on. I am the life that you have been longing for and dreaming for and praying for. It's me. I am what you've been waiting for. Jesus goes on and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he has been there four days. I just want to pause on a little anecdote here. The KJV, King James Version of the Bible says, But Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> I think that every time I read this. And I just love that. Oh, but Lord, he stinketh. And part of the Jewish belief system about this was that on the fourth day of a person's death, the sin, we talked about the sin nature, the sin nature of the person begins to eat away at their body and decompose them. So Martha's thinking, oh, shoot, even if you raise this guy from the dead, he's going to be looking like a zombie. You know, the, the things are not kosher up in there, Jesus. Uh, but Jesus is not deterred by that. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come up! The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them standing around, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine the wonder, the awe, the confusion, the fear, the hope, the amazement? This man who was dead is alive again. They had mourned him. They had watched him die and washed his body. They had dressed him in grave clothes and put him in a tomb. They had attended his funeral. And now he is here, living and breathing before them. But Lazarus is alive again, but he's still tied in these grave clothes. The, the burial rites that many Jews practice still to this day are that the deceased person is washed, and then they're clothed in these grave clothes. And part of that process is their hands and feet are tied together, and their face is covered. So Lazarus hears Jesus call out to him, and he sits up. And he walks out of the tomb. He is moved from death to life. 
but he's still tied up in these grave clothes. And frankly, I'm surprised he was even able to make it out of the tomb with his hands and feet tied like that and not being able to breathe clearly through this cloth over his face. And Jesus' response is so instructive. He doesn't tell Lazarus, take those off. What are you doing? Get out of those things. He tells the people around him who watched him come out of the tomb. He says, Lazarus can't free himself. You free him. You take off his grave clothes. His hands and feet are tied. His face is covered. He is alive. But the clothes of his dead life are still hanging to his body. And he can't do anything about them alone. This moment is a foreshadow of what Jesus was about to do for all of humanity on Easter morning. Just like Jesus shouted out to Lazarus, come out! Jesus is shouting out to you this morning, Emily, come out! Mark, come out! Candace, come out! Cece, come out! Dustin, come out! Rachel, come out! Jesus is calling you out of death and into life this morning. He is calling you out of sin and into the life that God made you to live. The life that you have always been searching for but has always seemed to escape you. The life that you believed was there even when you couldn't quite find it. Jesus is calling out to you, calling you out of sin, calling you out of shame, calling you out of darkness, and calling you out of death into life. This is what Jesus means when he says that he's the resurrection. He means that he is the path for all of creation to move from death to life. From the death of sinfulness in this life. And from the death of all living things that all living things know in this life into eternal life. There is a reason that death always feels like this hostile alien invasion in the human experience. It's because we were never made for this. You were never made for death. God's original design is that you would have eternal life with him. And through sin, we entered into death. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can move back into the life that we were made to have. But Jesus doesn't just call himself the resurrection. Jesus calls himself the life. If you've accepted Jesus' invitation to you, if you've already begun following him as Lord, you have moved from death to life, to eternal life in Christ. But you'll well know that just because someone's been saved from death does not mean they don't live sinfully still. Like Lazarus, we all have grave clothes. We all have things from our old life of death that cling to us, that stink, that we brought with us into this new life, but don't really belong there, that tie us down from the life that Jesus is really inviting us into. Lazarus's grave clothes were physical, but ours are emotional, they're mental, they're, they're psychological, they're spiritual. You know, my grave clothes are the way I act selfishly, like life is really about me, instead of selflessly serving like Jesus' example to us. My grave clothes are the negative ways I handle conflict, like my parents did, more than like Jesus does. You know, where I, where I cut people off, where I just try to avoid it, or I, I never really address the real issue, or I just hope it blows over. My grave clothes are the way I don't let people get too close to me for fear that I'm not enough. My grave clothes are the pride that make me feel superior to other people, and make me think that my perspective is more inherently true or right than theirs just because it's mine. 
My grave clothes are the way in which I spin the truth in order to gain, uh, or, or adjust my image in order to gain approval from others. Hold, instead of holding to my integrity, which is what I really think and feel, and risk being wrong, or risk being disliked. I remember the day that I realized Jesus was calling me out of some old grave clothes into this new life. And I specifically remember he was calling me out of the grave clothes for my need for other people's approval. It was in the first few years of planning the church, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. And uh, I was going through emotional healthy spirituality for the first time. And you know like that feeling when you didn't study for a test, but you still got like a B plus, A minus on it? You're like, <laughs> didn't study, you know. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good over here. Like, so I'm feeling that way about myself a little bit. Like, oh, I'm not as, kind of not as messed up as I was nervous I was. And, and I was reading in a daily office in my smugness and pride. And I, and I read this in, the day, in this daily office one morning in my quiet time with the Lord. It says this, Pete Scazzaro writes, M. Scott Peck illustrates the point through a story of meeting a high school classmate at the age of 15. And here are some of his reflections after a conversation with his friend. He writes, I suddenly realized that for the entire 10-minute period, when I had first seen my acquaintance until that very moment, I had been totally self-preoccupied. For the two or three minutes before we met, all I was thinking about was the clever things I might say that would impress him. During our five minutes together, I was listening to what he had to say, only so I might turn it into a clever rejoinder. I watched him only so that I might see what effect my remarks were having upon him. And for the two or three minutes after we separated, my sole thought was of those things I could have said that might have impressed him even more. I had not cared a whit. For my classmate. And as I read that, I just felt the Holy Spirit just pierce me like a knife. Because it just felt like somebody had put into such plain and painful language a description of most of my interactions with people for most of my life. And I was crushed. I just saw my grave clothes of my need for other people's approval and how selfishly I responded in all of my relationships, I just realized I do not love people as much as I think I do. And I do not love Jesus as much as I think I do. I have, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And I have to change. And I just remember needing that accountability, needing the people around me to help me do that. Because I was so blind to it before. It wasn't, didn't feel like a grave clothes. It just felt normal. I needed to move from death to life. And I needed to move from old to new. And so do you. I need Easter. I need Easter to remind me that the resurrection isn't just something that Jesus did, as true as that is. But it is who Jesus is. And that when Jesus walks into the room, death has no power. That when Jesus speaks, dead lives hear him say, come out of the tomb. That when my eyes meet Jesus's, I become so deeply aware of my grave clothes. And I need a community to help me undress from them. And to redress in the garments of the kingdom. To redress in the love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. I need Easter, and so do you. There are pieces of our old lives that cling to us, that pull at us, that keep us tied down. And Jesus' response to the grave clothes is to look at Lazarus' community and say, take them off. you got to help them out here. This is why we need community. This is Jesus' gift of the church to us. It's, it's the gift of, help, of giving us people to help us take off our grave clothes. It's why we do small groups. We should call them grave clothes groups. It's why we do serving teams. We should call them grave, grave clothes teams. It's because it's when we get around these people and we're committed to and submitted to a community of people who can tell us the truth about us, that that is when we begin to remove these pieces of our old life and begin to walk, not just in resurrection, but in life and life to the full. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is saying that when he is present, he moves us from death to life and from old to new. So, so now let's fast forward to Easter morning. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was a foreshadow, a preview of Easter morning, of what was going to come in its fullness on Easter. And we're going to pick up here in John chapter 20. It says this, Early in the mor on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, often believed to be John. And, and they had take they said, she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And so we don't know where he is or where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and the life. And then a few weeks after that encounter with Lazarus, he actually did it. He rose from the dead. He claimed to be the life, and then a few weeks later, he conquered death. A life so strong, so potent, so pure, that not even death itself could win over Jesus' life. But did you notice the differences between Jesus' resurrection and the preview he gave us in Lazarus? Lazarus needed somebody to roll away the stone and needed somebody to call out to him, come out of the tomb. When Mary got there, the stone had been rolled away, and Jesus needed nobody to call him out. He is the resurrection. He is the caller. He is the one calling out to us. But he did not need any help being the resurrection. He was the resurrection. When Mary gets there to grieve, the stone is already rolled away, and Jesus' body is gone. The resurrection is resurrected. And when Peter and John run inside, did you notice this? When Lazarus comes out, he's still got all the grave clothes of his old life hanging to him. And he needs help taking them off. But when Peter and John run into Jesus' tomb on Easter morning, the grave clothes are there in the tomb where they belong. Jesus did not need any help taking off his grave clothes. They're already undone. Lazarus' grave clothes clung to him in the midst of this new life. But Jesus' grave clothes were never even his. They were ours. They were ours. And he left them behind in the grave. Jesus did not need a transition from an old life to a new life. Jesus is 
the new life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And today on Easter, we celebrate that Jesus' resurrection is not just a true and powerful event. It is an invitation for each of us to follow Jesus out of the tomb, to follow Jesus from death to life, and to follow Jesus into this new kind of life as we leave our grave clothes behind, moving from old to new and from death to life in Christ. And when Jesus rose from the dead Easter morning, he proved irrevocably that he had the power and authority over all things and that he was the master of life. But it wasn't just for him. Colossians calls him the firstborn among all creation. And just like Jesus invited Lazarus out of the tomb, he is inviting you and he is inviting me out of the tomb this morning. Paul writes in Colossians, For he, God, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created. And in Jesus, because of Easter, all things will be recreated again, the way God made them to be. So this Easter day, do you hear Jesus' voice calling out to you? saying, come out of the grave. And this Easter day, do you hear Jesus' invitation to you to remove more of your grave clothes or ask for help getting them removed? Listen, friends, we all need redemption. We all need a second chance. We all need both a resurrection and a real life and life to the full. That's why we're called Life Church. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. So I just ask you this morning, where are you at? Do you hear Jesus' voice calling you out of your old life of sin and death, and into a new life in Christ? Do you hear Jesus, feel Jesus poking at grave clothes that you still have wrapped around you? And maybe by this point, you feel like some of those grave clothes are who you are. Well, it's just who I am. This is just how I do things. That's not a bad thing. It's just a me thing. And No, it's not. It may be who you are right now, but it's not who God made you to be. Maybe you're nervous about helping other people take off their grave clothes or letting others get close enough to you to help you take yours off. Maybe you've been hurt by sinful people or you've been hurt by a legalistic moralism that lacks God's mercy and love and grace. Wherever you find yourself this morning, I want you to know Jesus is inviting you from death to life and from the grave clothes of your old life into a new life that is clothed in love and joy, in peace and patience, in kindness and goodness, in faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. And so if you've never surrendered to Jesus as the master of your life, as the Lord of your life, if you've never surrendered to the resurrection and the life, and you're feeling God move in your heart today, I just want to invite you right now just to lift your hands with me. Just to lift your hands and pray, Lord, I surrender to you. God, I give you myself. I have done life my way, and I have tasted the death that comes with sin. And Lord, I need a resurrection, and I need a new life. And Lord, I believe 
that you can provide that for me. I surrender to you now, and I ask that you give me the gift of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. And this morning, if you're with us, and, and you are just finding yourself so aware of grave clothes that you have on in your life that are keeping you from the life God has called you into, I just want to invite you to open your hands with me and say, Lord, I surrender this to you. Show me, Lord, who I need to invite in to help me remove these grave clothes. And Lord, I pray that you would remove this part of my old life and that this Easter you would make me new because you are the resurrection and the life. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed with us this morning and you took a first step in your relationship with Jesus or you're taking a new step in removing some grave clothes, I really, really, really want to encourage you please click on our digital bulletin. Please reach out to us so that we can walk alongside you because you are not in this alone. Happy Easter.